Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Greg Bluestein, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution politics reporter, filling in for Bill Nygut, who is on a much-deserved vacation. First, I'm happy that DeKalb County Chief Executive Michael Thurman is joining us. Chief, how are you this morning? I'm fine, Bluestein. Honored to be with a best-selling author. I'm privileged. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Also with us is Rick Dent of Matrix Communications. Rick has been has spent decades behind campaigns and watching and observing all that unfolds during these Georgia midterms, uh, really unlike anything we've ever seen, Rick. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but thanks for making me sound very old. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, you were doing this while I was still in college, so that's the fun part. <laughs> oh, God! And we're benefiting from a somewhat new voice to Political Rewind this morning. Uh, Tanya Washington, a law professor at Georgia State University, is joining us. Thank you so much, Professor. We can't wait to hear what you've got to offer. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And, of course, longtime panelist and president of Engaged Futures, Leo Smith. He joins us as well. Hey, Leo. Good to see everybody. Nice to meet you, Professor Washington. Well, Leo, I saved one of the best for last by introducing you here because we're going to dive right into one of your favorite issues, which is the economy. Um, that's the big news from last night's campaign uh, in the Georgia governor's race. Stacey Abrams unveiled a new, sharper economic platform headlined by a plan to legalize casino gambling and allow sports betting in Georgia to help fund an expansion of the Hope Scholarship and really generate new revenue without raising taxes. That's the core of her economic agenda here. Leo, Abrams is trailing in the polls, and she's looking to reframe her economic message. But my question for you is, is this the sort of thing that can change the dynamic? You know, yeah, it, it is the sort of thing that Stacey Abrams hopes can change the dynamic because she's not driving the car, you know, there's that famous quote, a critic is the person who knows the way but can't drive the car. And, and the more that Stacey Abrams speaks about her plans to deal with the economy, she sounds more like someone who's mimicking what the guy driving the car, Brian Kemp, is already doing. And so you're looking at personal income tax collections up 10%. You're looking at uh, all kinds of new businesses added to Georgia. He's handing out checks. He's giving out things like Michael Thurman gives out food boxes. Uh, he's looking good. <laughs> okay, Chief Thurman, since Leo, this is not a debate, but since Leo invoked your name, <laughs> look, this is a perennial issue that has really divided Democrats and Republicans over the years. Um, it's not really a party line issue, too. We've seen many Democrats support legalizing gambling, but also opposing it. We've seen many Republicans split on the issue, too. Now Abrams becomes the first candidate in this race to endorse the idea. And this is the first time that she's really put, you know, unequivocally endorsed legalizing gambling. But she also risks alienating some of her supporters. Chief, what do you think about it? Well, first of all, I think it's a smart move on her part. I agree with my friend Leo. Uh, obviously, uh, Governor Kemp uh, has a lot of wind in his sail right now. And it's incumbent upon the Abrams campaign to make an argument as to why she 
uh, would be better positioned to serve and lead this state from the governor's mansion. Clearly, legalized gambling has been there is support, as you say, on both sides of the aisle. And it's a way, I think, to reach some independent or possibly undecided voters uh, in the upcoming campaign. Yeah, and to fund some of these um, campaign initiatives. And in this case, she wants expand. She wants legalized gambling to raise re- new revenue, to expand the host- Hope Scholarship, um, uh, offer a th- needs-based part of this, a needs-based component, which is not now um, widespread offered in Georgia law, and to allow students with C averages um, to to reap the benefits of the Hope Scholarship, because right now it's only offered to B students. Rick. Uh, since you were probably a C student, C student. <laughs> no, Rick oh, was there. Rick was there when we debated it. That's not true, Greg. Rick was that, there. Right. So, Rick, what do you think about? Do you think this I'm will move taking, the needle? Wait, wait, wait! I'm not taking any questions from you. I'm done. He's done after this. <laughs> that is biased media. That 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 was a fake news question. I did not mean to disparage you, Rick. But no, what, do you think this moves the needle for Stacey Abrams? Um, because now she. You know, I'm sure there'll be a raft of, of campaign ads, something you specialize in, in observing the, um, you know, the, uh, the efficiency and the effectiveness of these ads. We're going to hear a lot more from her campaign about um, allowing more students these higher education opportunities. Uh, I think it's a brilliant move. First, to Leo's point, you know, up until last night, she was basically mimicking Brian Kemp. And when you do that, Brian Kemp can simply say, Hey, you know me. I'm not a risk. You know my record. Are you going to take a risk on her? I, I'll give you everything that she says. But now, now there may be a divide. And as Michael Thurman remembers, gaming and gambling ties Republicans in knots. And it's easy to forget they oppose the lottery. They oppose the Hope Scholarship. They oppose pre-K. And it's a tough thing for them, even in 2022. Professor, uh, Rick makes a great point. Um, Stacey Abrams, she's trailing the polls, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll out a couple weeks ago. But she's acting with this sort of sense of urgency to push a raft of policy proposals to strike a contrast with Governor Kemp, who we still haven't heard We'll talk about this a little bit, but we still haven't heard any concrete policy initiatives that he has for a second term as governor. Well, I think uh, Rick's right that it does create some contrast. But you made a point, Greg, that I think is important for us to think about, which is the um, she wants to be careful not to alienate her base, right? And so there are concerns, there are objections that have been raised by progressives around poverty and racial inequality being promoted by gaming and gambling. So while it can have some positive impacts that I think her base would appreciate, it also may have some, uh, produce some, some consequences or exacerbate some realities that her base would not benefit from. Uh, you know, Leo, Governor Kemp has been wary to weigh in on this issue. He's always said he's personally exposes opposes expanding gambling, but that he won't stand in the way of a constitutional amendment. We've seen every year the AJC and other media outlets, we write a whole bunch of stories of saying, hey, this is on the cusp of passing. It hasn't passed, uh, even though there's a number of rank-and-file Republicans who are beginning to at least embrace it, and rank-and-file Democrats as well. Um, does this put, to you, does this put Governor Kemp in a, in a tough position here? 
It does put him in a bit of a quarry because, as you can recall, Greg, back in our Georgia GOP Augusta convention, um, where you were covering that convention, a vote had been taken in a previous convention by the Georgia GOP when I was on the state committee um, to have a resolution against gambling. But yet we elected John Watson as chairman of the party when he was promoting gambling in Georgia as a lobbyist. And so, and, and people were very quiet about that. That was an issue that Watson had to deal with in private rooms over buildings, probably, uh, you know, about his gambling position and face of that resolution. So the, the party is conflicted on that issue. Uh, so I think Kemp is going to sort of try and avoid talking about it as much as possible. We have a little bit of breaking news to share with you about that event last night. I just got word from Stacey Abrams' campaign, her spokesman, Michael Holloman, who says, and I'll quote, This morning, Stacey Abrams tested positive for COVID-19 doing routine testing. She tests daily and tested negative via a PCR test Monday and negative via rapid test Tuesday before her big economic speech. She's fully vaccinated and boosted and experiencing mild symptoms consistent with CDC guidelines. Stacey Abrams will isolate at home and looks forward to traveling across the state to meet Georgians as soon as possible. So, guys, uh, this was a major development that just broke just a, uh, just seconds ago. Stacey Abrams um it's tested positive for COVID-19. She gave that speech. And I was there last night in a crowded Atlanta brewery, downtown Atlanta. Um, many people in the brewery were masked. Many were not. Stacey Abrams was not masked. She was speaking from a podium, you know, probably six, ten feet away from people. So she was definitely socially distanced. Um, but, uh, Leo, um, this continues to be an issue that 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 plagues the campaign trail. Uh, coronavirus is we're not done with the pandemic yet. Uh, we've seen President Biden. Um, test positive multiple times for coronavirus just in the last few days. Um, and this will probably knock Stacey Abrams at least out of in-person events for the next few days. Yeah, it'll knock her out of in-person events, but it'll also probably bring, bring up some old memes about Stacey speaking to a group of students without a mask. Um, and the issue of you know whether or not she is true to what has been on the far left progressive side, this idea that some people had that you should always have a mask no matter what. So um, it, it's going to continue to be an issue, both of health and also wealth and politics. Uh, Professor, I'd love to get your take on this, because is there an unfair standard? You know, I, look, I covered the campaign trail in the heat of the in the opening months of the pandemic, where I'd go to lots of Republican events where where very few people wearing masks, where people like me were getting disparaged for wearing masks. Um, and yet Stacey Abrams, you know, takes off a mask for a moment or two. Um, when she's posing with pictures with a bunch of school children just a few months ago, and it becomes this uh, Republican attack point, this Republican meme. Uh, Professor, is that a fair is that a fair attack from the GOP? It's not fair, but that doesn't mean it's going to stop. Um, I think Leo makes an excellent point that when that's part of your platform and part of the platform of your base, mask wearing, then you are more vulnerable to critiques when you don't wear one, even if, you know, it's appropriate. You said she was socially distanced, and so she didn't have a mask on when she was speaking. That's appropriate, but if there's a picture of her without a mask at an event, it's going to be used. I mean, politics isn't fair. Yeah, Chief Thurman, this just reminds us. Yeah, she was, you know, she was wearing a mask. Um, I, I was at a campaign event with Stacey um, at her campaign headquarters in Decatur um, last week, 
and uh, tests were required for even reporters as we before we entered the building. Masks were required as well. So her campaign has been very vigilant pandemic. But at the same time, even with all this vigilance, Chief, the, the pandemic still stalks us. Oh. I think you're on mute, uh, Chief. Yeah. Um, Rick, while we're waiting for the Chief, I don't know you jump in on this. Um, the, the pandemic is still a very big concern. And um, the polls that me and you have seen, you know, they don't necessarily say public safety or, 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 or public health is a top issue like it was in 2020. But it's still a very important part of, of, of our discourse. It is, but my goodness, when when I go out anywhere, I feel like an idiot with my mask on. <laughs> no, nobody else is wearing a mask in Georgia that I see anywhere I go, really. So in terms of, I think we've just decided I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live my life government overreach, you're not going to tell me what to do, and I'll deal with it. You know, Rick makes a great point, Leo. It used to be seen as sort of a, divide, a partisan dividing line. You could, you could, you know, you, it wasn't 100% accurate, but you could kind of um, try to differentiate people wearing masks tended to be more Democratic. People who weren't, at, you know, after a few months of the pandemic tended to be more GOP, r- r- conservative leaning. Right now, though, Leo, um, we're not seeing many masks at all, even during new waves of this pandemic, because the public seems to be kind of over it. Even ads from Senator Raphael Warnock, even ads from Stacey Abrams, even ads from top Democratic candidates, they're not wearing masks. They're out there in public um, trying to show a, a new path forward. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of fatigue happening there. I mean, we've had waves of it, and yet I think we're in a big wave of just people that are just tired of the issue. And now you got another issue. you got monkeypox out there. Um, becoming a different kind of concern that's distracting folks. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I still wear my mask as a Republican. I still wear my mask when I'm in a long, tight environment uh, where I'm going to have long exposure. Um, I do that. I'm very aware of my distancing with folks. But uh, I certainly don't wear it as much as I used to. Uh, Chief, I think we have you back. I'd love for you to chime in. Well, first, I, I just express my best wishes to Lita Abrams and Wusha Whale and a speedy recovery. Uh, look, we're living in the 2022. And, you know, I spent the last two and a half years fighting this insidious virus, and it's affected millions and millions of Americans and people all across this nation. Uh, politics aside, uh, I'm not sure that anyone can, quote, protect themselves from this disease. We just haven't figured it out yet. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I just think uh, this shows that, number one, she's human like anyone else, but uh, very focused and dedicated on getting her message out. Uh, we've had, if the president can get it, anybody can get it, uh, including a candidate for governor. And I don't think we could accept or should accept the double standard in this regard. Uh, I wear masks when I can. I Not always. And every moment, any of us know that anybody can get infected at any point in time. Matter of fact, we could all be infected right now and not know it. Well, Chief, let's stay with you because I want to get your thoughts on on the other parts of her speech last night. You know, the headline for me was legalizing gambling. Um, but there are also calls to expand Medicaid, make technical college free in Georgia, finance a $10 million small business fund, launch a learner's permit for entrepreneurs, boost state contracts with minority businesses, um, in veterans' homelessness, there is an array of policy promises and initiatives. Um, you know, it, 
there is a there's a benefit to this, right? She has a, she has literally dozens and dozens of policy promises. Um, but my question is, do you also, as a Democrat, are you also concerned that there are <laughs> that this distracts from an underlying core message that she might have for her campaign? I believe she's demonstrating her number one, her intelligence and understanding of the issues, and communicating not just to the base. I think this race, as you know, Bluestein, this is about these remaining undecided voters. And it's not so much to reach the people who already support her. She understands. She understands the numbers. And any general election is about uh, undecided, possibly independent or moderate voters, either Republican or Democrat. That's the target as to which I believe. I hadn't talked to about it, but I think that's where she is right now. And that is the agenda she's trying to promote, to reach those undecided voters or independent voters that will ultimately determine uh, who wins and who loses in November. Rick, you're nodding in agreement. Well, I was going to say, uh, especially in the 90s when the lottery was an issue everywhere, I worked with multiple candidates who promoted lotteries in their states for the first time. And what you learn about the gaming issue is exactly what you said, Greg. It sucks the air out of the room on everything else. But for me, I think that's a good thing. I want to be known as the gaming candidate. If I can go into the voting booth and be known as the gaming candidate, I think that gives me an advantage because, as I said before, I love contrast. I think elections are are supposed to be about choices. And if you've got two candidates that mirror each other, well, why would I vote against an incumbent? I want something new and different. Leo is going to be – oh, sorry, go Chief. Blue, let me add one other thing. Let Mm -hmm. me tell you, Rick and I remember when Zell Miller – announced that he was supporting the lottery, and we all, at least the smart people, said he was doomed. He'd never win another race, and the Democratic Party and everything would go down in flames for supporting the lottery. You have to be aggressive, quite frankly, and at this point a little bit risk-averse to make things happen for Georgia. One of the things I would suggest, the reason ultimately the lottery passed in Georgia, and we just old guys, because Rick remembers all the way back to the 20th century. Blue Steve, you in middle school when all this was happening. (laughs) But but it's why. It's how are you going to use the revenue? What Miller did was emphasize to support education. And by the way, the original legislation was much more democratic, so to speak, than what we have now Mm -hmm. because it helped a lot more people. Uh, and it wasn't just for A and B students. Uh, the original legislation would have allowed people like uh, Rick and myself to actually benefit from an in college with C students. <laughs> and I think you mean Democrat with a lowercase d, right? Um, yeah, it's Democrat with a lowercase d. You're absolutely right. Leo, you know, I'm one of those Hope Scholars. I, I don't know if I would have gone to the University of Georgia without the Hope Scholarship. I, my mom was a single te- public school teacher. Um, so, we, you know, it, it's one of those transformative policies um, that that generations. Um, you know, no, no, uh, yeah, you know, CEO Thurman just got right to it. I mean, the people there's the cause and effect of politics and policy. I mean, the effect might be a legislative change, but the cause that's behind it is the righteous win that gets people motivated. And so Stacey mm. would do well to not just talk about gambling, but to talk about the cause of education and and she's kind of put that into her policy proposal, expanding that cause to C-level students, which is a pretty broad base. 
And that's really important, too, because we know that midterms don't generally have big youth turnout. And so Democrats have to think, how can we get more young people to turn out in midterms when they normally don't? And that's a good way to connect that. And Professor, I don't like giving Democrats some advice, but, you know, hey. Professor, you see students on the Hope Scholarship every single day. Uh, Can you talk about what this sort of what expanding the Hope Scholarship could mean um, to, to the students in your classrooms? I think it's incredibly timely, given that because of the pandemic, so many of our students have lost two years of instruction. And so some of those students will not be able to resurrect their GPAs and will graduate with uh, a C average. And I think if we don't allow them the opportunity to attend institutions of higher ed, we as a society are losing out on a lot of potential. So the, the use of this money to kind of counteract what we've lost during the pandemic, I think is, is brilliant. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Governor Kemp's response. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm the AJC's Greg Bluestein, filling in for the great Bill Nygut, who is out somewhere on the beach or the mountains enjoying a much-deserved vacation. We are so pleased to have us today, to have with us today, Leo Smith, the CAB CEO, Michael Thurman, Professor Tanya Washington, and Rick Dent with us. Before we get back into today's leading topics, I want to mention what the team here at GPB is doing on tomorrow's show, because we would love to hear from you. Uh, Our team is diving into your questions about Georgia's constitution, and we invite you, if you have any questions at all for our panel, you can leave us a voicemail message any time of day or night, 24-7, at 404-494-0421. That's 404-494-0421. We look forward to hearing your questions. Okay. We talked about what Stacey Abrams has rolled out, has unveiled uh, literally dozens of policies over the last few weeks, from affordable housing to tax to salary hikes. What we haven't heard, though, guys, is much from Governor Kemp about his second term agenda. We've heard plenty of him talking about his record for our first term, what he's done over the last four years, but really nothing significant about what he would propose in the second term until this week. His aides told me just a few days ago that he's planning to unveil about a billion dollar tax refund plan by dipping into the reserves and a round of homeowner homeowner rebates. He's going to roll this out tomorrow. So, Rick, I mean, is this an indication of an incumbent who is confident because there's not really a sense of urgency for him to go match Stacey Abrams' proposals one by one? Instead, he's waited until mid-August to, to really roll out his first big initiative. Well, you know, he does have a heck of a record. You've got to give him that. I mean, he's cut taxes. He's got the, 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 the car folks coming in, uh, the huge surplus, the tax cuts. Um, he's really firing on all cylinders. But every incumbent race has to transition at some point with here's what I'm going to do in the future. Um, 
so it's about time. Um, it's interesting when you compare what he wants to do with what Stacey Abrams wants to do. In a sense, it's a reflection of both political parties. In terms of Governor Kemp, you know, Republicans like to give money back, and Democrats like to spend it. Now, all my Democratic friends are going to yell at me for saying that, but, but, they, but, but, but they do, but in a good way. Let, let, let me clarify. The beauty of what Stacey Abrams just did, I support something that's going to generate a lot of money, is that it gives you the ability to then tell voters, here's how I'm going to spend it. And if you want Medicaid expansion, if you want hope to go back to its glory days, vote for me. Brian Kemp can't give that to you. So that's still going to be the contrast between these two. Stacey wants to invest in people, and Brian Kemp wants to give the money back to people. Okay, Leo, as the Republican on the panel, it sounds like it seems like you're bursting out of your chair to respond. Love to hear what you have to say. No, I think Rick is spot on, as we say, and, and that is exactly it. And, you know, thank you, Rick, for that. And, yeah, the, you know, the issue is, is Brian Kemp on responses. And an incumbent's record, his performance, is, or her performance is the most important when it comes to voters. Uh, and looking at Brian Kemp, I mean, you could say a lot of things about him, but the guy is unemotional about decision-making, but yet responsive from his late response to COVID to now a generous um, contribution to all kinds of efforts related to COVID, uh, to tax incentives, to how he's dealing with the gas sure price. Sure. Uh, I mean, he's very responsive, and that's what people are going to trust in him in the next next round. Uh, Chief Thurman, I love your thoughts on this because up until now, um, most of what we've heard from Governor Kemp on the on his economy has been uh, his first record experience of hey, he you know he promised a five thousand dollar pay raise for teachers, he delivered, um, and he talks a lot, an awful lot about his decision to reopen the economy really early in the pandemic. What he likes to remind folks is amid a lot of criticism. What he doesn't like to re- remind folks too often of is that among the critics was then-President Donald Trump. He likes to say the national media and Democrats, but there was also a lot of Republican criticism. Chief, uh, is this going to give him another economic incentive, another economic argument to make? And will Democrats have you know a, a way to kind of one-up him saying, hey, we already, Stacey Abrams, she called for a billion-dollar tax refund a few months ago. Well, first, and I loathe to do it, but I got to disagree a little bit with my friend Rick Dent. Uh, you got a Democrat on the phone who supported, along with our commissioners, $450 million in property tax relief. So it's not just CN. I think it's both. And we believe in providing a progressive tax system that supports working folk. And that's what we're about. Now, back to uh, Governor Kemp. In, as uh, Rick said, and I agree with him here, and Leo and the professor, He's done a masterful job from a tactical perspective. Uh, see, in order to understand Governor Kemp, you got to remember that he played in the offensive line at Clark mm-hmm. Central High School. And he's a three-yard and cloud of dust kind of guy. He's going to be just uh, relentless and persistent, and he's grinding away every day. And that's who he is, and that's his politics. He's a great tactician, uh, crushed Purdue, and now he has the greatest political challenge. So, yes, he's going to use all of the resources at his disposal, and he uses them in a, sometimes in a brutal way, 
looking at the Board of Regents and how we got uh, former Governor Purdue as the Chancellor, no reservations in utilizing the resources at his hand uh, to promote his political agenda. Stacey Abrams is continuing it all to talk about the future of Georgia. So what she's painting is a different future for a state that's in transition demo demographically and politically. And Kemp, of course, is trying to say uh, that's a promise, but this is a record. And that's what this campaign is all about. Professor, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So I was the recipient of that $5,000 bump um, in the spring. Uh, we know that stimulus checks work, right? Bush did it in 28, uh, 2008 and signed his name all across the check. Um, people <laughs> like those. People can really feel and connect with that one-time payment. Um, but I think, um, to Michael Thurman's point, what Leader Abrams is talking about is sustainable change that will be more equitably distributed across our uh, population for working families, for families experiencing poverty. And, uh, you know, I think that the more she continues to talk about that future, um, the more she is going to attract those independent voters while maintaining um, energy with respect to her base. You know, to that point, Professor Stacey Abrams last night, she said, this fall we face a generational moment. She's talking about a more than $5 billion surplus that Georgia has. Um, we have a windfall, she said, but the question is what we will do with it. So she's talking about, Professor, she's talking about making these generational investments, not just a, 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 you know, a tax refund, but something you know, in terms of expanding the Hope Scholarship, for instance, something that she hopes will be longer-term vision. I expect Governor Kemp will also have some longer-term visions. We just haven't heard them quite yet. Right. And, I, and I, what I like about her vision is that it is inclusive and equitable. It won't just benefit the usual suspects. It will be an investment in, um, you know, those frontline workers that had to work throughout the pandemic and who experienced loss of life at, you know, in, in disparate ways. And that investment will affect everyone and affect the health of the state. So I, I like that she's talking about making an investment that will benefit all Georgians. Rick, I want to get to something that Commissioner, that Chief Thurman, Commissioner too, I can call him both, um, but Chief Thurman <laughs> uh, said earlier about Kemp using the, the levers of power to help his reelection, because that was a story I, I wrote um, earlier this week as well. You're seeing governor, a very powerful governor system here in Georgia. Um, we saw Governor Kemp do everything he could to not give David Perdue any sort of avenue on the right, um, on the right lane to beat him and doing the primary. He orchestrated Sonny Perdue as the chancellor. He passed every major piece of his legislative agenda, including, um, you know, including new educational efforts to direct how teachers discuss race and gender, um, transgender athlete bans for, for high school sports, all these sort of uh, cons very conservative pieces of legislation. Now, Rick, we're seeing a, a different tack. You know, now every month, the governor is rolling out a new month-long suspension of the gas tax break because it gets him a whole lot of headlines. Um, he's talking about ways he's using the surplus and, and, and dipping deeper into the state budget. He's using those powers of incumbency instead of trying to, you know, energize a conservative base. Rick, he's trying to use them to, to broaden his, uh, to appeal to those independent voters that are so crucial right now. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And, and 
for someone who's worked with, with many incumbents in the past, it's a wonderful tool to have that you can go out and get any kind of media coverage you want at any time, doing executive orders, making announcements of policy. It, it doesn't matter. And moving around the state and getting on television, Greg, not in the newspaper, but television where it's important. Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will tell you, and, and Michael, Thurman can, My, Michael Thurman can speak to this, uh, we invented, I want to I take credit for this, we invented in the 90s for Zell Miller the idea that he could sign a bill more than once. And he would tour the state and sign the same bill seven times, even though legally it made absolutely no difference. <laughs> Those statewide budget fly-around tours that governors still do. And, and, and Commissioner Thurmond, Executive Thurmond, <laughs> Chief Thurmond. No, I used to be commissioner when I was the labor commissioner, so just call me. It doesn't matter what you call me. Just I call, call me you everything. Call, um, but, Chief, you know— you know, you've been there. You've seen the power of incumbency. You've seen you've seen what an, the I next to your name uh, does for you. And we've seen also in, in, in polls from the AJC and other outlets that incumbents do have a, you know, that's why we're, that's one reason why we might be seeing a split ticket vote right now, at least in the polls, because Senator Warnock's leading, uh, but also Governor Kemp is leading. Yes, this is a high anxiety moment in Georgia and America uh, in terms of people and their lives and their livelihood. And so the challenge, of course, is to be able to advocate and convince that change is better than status quo. And Rick Dent is a brilliant political strategist. I, rem- you know, I remember the Zell Miller days. He kind of created uh, the moderate Democrat politics that we see still playing out in some areas. And I think uh, what ultimately, though, will determine this race is who advocates and convinces with the best message who addresses the issue of inflation. At the end of the day, that's what this race will be determined about. I've said it before, gas, guns, and groceries. Who will talk to working-class folk and convince them that it's in their best interest to provide them with the reins of leadership? In the end, that's what this race is going to come down to. People are hurting, Bluestein. I'm just telling you, regular Mm -hmm. working folk are hurting right now and whoever can address the issue of inflation, I think will carry the day. A quick side story. I was at the Georgia Chamber's annual congressional luncheon yesterday, and Frank Luntz, the Republican pollster, asked a room of 1,400 people who, among them, um, no longer feels confident in, raising, uh, in, in filling their entire gas tank. Um, only one person in the entire room raised their hand. That was Vice Mayor of Macon, Seth Clark, another friend of the show, uh, when he, he Frank Luntz asked him to stand up and he says, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at the only regular Georgian in the room, because that is exactly what folks are, are, are worrying about. They're worrying about the, the rising price of household products, the gas, um, you know, eating out all these issues, the, the, going back to school, all these issues. And, Professor, I'd love for you to chime in. It is, it is a high anxiety moment, but as the, the sole woman on this panel, I want folks to understand it's not just about can we fill our grocery baskets and can we fill our gas tanks. We are concerned about our wounds, um, and that is a significant issue. So it's, it is about the economy, stupid, as James Carville said, mm-hmm. but it's about reproductive rights, women's citizenship, and the economy. Um, and that is that I think is um, Governor Kemp's Achilles' heel. He has strayed away from 
really talking uh, in victorious terms about the six, Georgia six-week ban uh, because it is controversial. And I think there are independent women. I think there are independent um, uh, Republican women also who have a problem with that particular ban and his advocacy of it. And so I think that is also an issue um, that many Georgia voters will be thinking about when they go to cast their ballots in November. Professor, I'm so glad you said that. Let's stay with you on this one because, you know, we've heard from Stacey Abrams saying that the Kansas vote last week could be a game changer. She's held a really emotional panel of women who have suffered miscarriages or or had abortions. Um, She's continuing to do this. She's going to have more of those events. And she also had a really devastating 30-second ad um, with with women speaking direct to camera about their concerns about the anti-abortion bill. Her, Her strategy right now is kind of tying them all together. Is saying that yes, as bad as you know, as 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 much as folks are up, upset about the anti-abortion limits and the pro-gun laws, she's trying to also say that they're having an economic impact uh, on Music Midtown, the the Atlanta Music Festival that canceled uh, because of its pro-gun policies, according to officials, and because of now we've got governors in other states saying, hey, business, come on over to Georgia, uh, come leave Georgia because uh, our states might have more. Uh, protective abortion rights legislation. So, Professor, I'd love to hear you on that. So we've seen the power of boycotts in the context of um, gay marriage, in the context of the religious freedom um, uh, initiatives and and proposed legislation. Um, We know the voting rights bill has also been the the subject of uh, boycotts. So we know that that works when corporations decide to take their business elsewhere. They vote with their dollars. Um, and we've got, you know, Georgia is kind of the new Hollywood, and so we have lots of, um, you know, folks in that industry threatening to uh, boycott because of the gun laws, because of the voting rights restrictions, and because of abortion. Um, I think what I tell my students is translate your argument into something that people you're trying to persuade understand, and people care about dollars coming into the state. And if this is going to threaten um, the amount of revenue that we have access to such that we won't be looking at a $5 billion surplus in the coming years, that is going to resonate um, with voters who also care about the policies themselves beyond the economic impact. In her speech last night, Stacey Abrams mentioned the Music Midtown cancellation, pointing to the perils, in her words, of Governor Kemp's policies. She also put out an ad earlier this week that specifically highlighted the news coverage surrounding Music Midtown's cancellation. Okay, Rick, you are our resident ad smith. I love your take and excuse the pun, but will the plight of a music festival strike a chord with Georgia voters? Uh, No. That's a simple answer. (laughs) Absolutely not. Look, it's a good hit. It's a good hit for Stacey Abrams um, to throw. Uh, if, you, if Democrats are depending on voters concerned about canceling mu- uh, music festivals in November, uh, they're going to lose. Uh, abortion is a key issue, just like the professor said. But as Michael will tell you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a nuanced kind of guy. I think what Democrats have to do is they have to scare the hell out of women. They need to say Republicans are in hiding on this issue right now. They're very quiet. Why? Because they know it can hurt them. But if you let them back in in November, 
They are coming for you. That Supreme Court decision is not the end. It's the beginning for Republicans. Chief, you've been that statewide candidate. What do you think about the, the quote, scare the hell out of them tactic that, uh, that Rick just elaborated on? Well, it's a tactic that's been used and is being used and will be used by Republicans and Democrats, and it has been effective. I agree with Rick uh, that it's going to be effective. These things about the, the, the challenge, though, is that you turn out both sides. These issues have the ability to turn out base voters on both sides of the aisle. And the question is, at the end of the day, it will be turnout. If Kansas uh, showed that in a, the turnout grew, I think, about 300,000 votes over the last uh, election held in a similar cycle, that is the question. What will the turnout be in November? Will this be a more traditional one or more like uh, 2018? So what both candidates will have to do is get the vote out. And, you know, I always i am interested in polls. But the one thing that can undo or circumvent a poll is you you change or, or, or impact the turnout models. And ultimately, that's what I think uh, Lita Abrams is attempting to do. I think that's what Brian Kemp is doing. And I think people like Leo uh, will tell you the Republicans are investing millions and millions of dollars into trying to turn the vote out. The media always looks at the Democrats and what we do. Uh, but I think, and Leo can speak to this better than I can, I think the Republicans are also investing in turnout models this year. Leo, I'd love to hear you from you before we go to a break. Again, CEO Thurman is spot on. I mean, that's exactly it. The Republicans have played a long game in creating an environment and conditions in which galvanize and energize midterm voters. Democrats have a hard time on midterm voter turnout. Um, Republicans have grasped that and are running with that. And the issue is going to be how Republicans frame it. They're going to frame it about freedom, freedom of a state to make its own choices. And that's not really about abortion. That's how Republicans are going to frame that. Okay, let's take our final break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Georgia political fallout from the FBI's search of Donald Trump's Florida estate. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm the AJC's Greg Bluestein filling in for the great Bill Nygut. We're so pleased to have GOP strategist Leo Smith, the CAB Chief Executive Michael Thurman, Professor Tanya Washington, and ad guru Rick Dent with us today. Okay, guys, President Biden, he's on a winning streak. We saw over the weekend a cornerstone of his, of his domestic agenda passes the U.S. Senate. It's on the cusp of reaching his desk. But even Donald Trump's Republican critics in Georgia say the FBI search of his Florida state is only going to energize his supporters and could overshadow everything else. I was at that Republican luncheon, that sorry, that Georgia chamber luncheon yesterday in Macon, and former state representative Melvin Everson, a Republican, came up to me. He goes, that what happened um, uh, on Monday night with the, with the search cemented Donald Trump's victory. So that is already the narrative from some Republicans, at least. Leo, I'd love to hear you. How much do you think that this search will affect anything at all in the midterms? Are we, is this a lot of just media pontification, or could this really have a real impact? Well, it's hard for me to ever uh, sort of be contrary to Melvin Everson. He's a very wise man. Uh, however, uh, I think at the moment, that feeling that this galvanizes is true. But we don't know what's going to come out of this moment. 
for the FBI to have gotten a federal court's authority to do what they did in this unprecedented way, I believe, as many other legal scholars believe, not many legal scholars, not <laughs> other, I'm not one, <laughs> but, but there's more to this. A bigger ball is going to drop. I absolutely believe that, and I don't think that ball is going to be one that Trump can carry into a, a win in a primary. Okay, Rick, do you think, because this is only one of Donald Trump's legal problems, right? There's obviously the investigation in here in, in Georgia, the Fulton County Special Grand Jury, that is kind of tightening its scrutiny around his inner circle. There's also the ongoing investigation in New York, where he has apparently been uh, subpoenaed to testify uh, behind closed doors. In the New York investigation, of course, there's the January 6th um, committee in the U.S. House that has continued to investigate the fallout of the insurrection in 2021. So, Rick, is this going to complicate Democratic messaging, or is this going to help Democratic messaging, or will Georgia voters just kind of focus on uh, on issues that affect Georgia voters the most? You know, the, the problem is that everything you listed sounds so far more important than what they were going after in Florida. So that concerns me. The Justice Department better have a good reason and have great evidence when they reveal this, or this is going to hurt, I think, Democrats. I, I truly believe that. At the same time, in terms of Georgia, if you notice, Governor Kemp has been very quiet, and that's exactly the play he should make. He should stick to his game plan, which is focus on President Biden, Stacey Abrams, and completely ignore Trump in any of this. That's a great point. I asked Governor Kemp's office again this morning, because I haven't seen him since, since this news, if they had any comment on this fallout. Of course, there was none. Uh, but we did see a pretty uh, lengthy statement from Herschel Walker that I'm trying to pull up right now. But essentially, he parroted, he echoed a lot of what other Republicans um, have been saying, national Republicans have been saying. He used the term banana republic, which uh, uh, echoes comments from Eric Trump, from Donald Trump Jr., and far-right Congress members. Um, you know, Chief Thurman, does this play into, I mean, does, does this indicate how Republicans, I know I'm asking you to talk about folks across the aisle, but does this indicate how Republicans think that this could energize their supporters who see this as a witch hunt? Well, you compare Governor Kemp's response to uh, Herschel Walker. Obviously, Governor Kemp is a lot more familiar with Georgia politics since Hershey hadn't lived here uh, since he was running the football for the Bulldogs. I think Kemp has a better uh, antenna in terms of where this state is, particularly moving into November. Look, I'm one of those, you know how I feel about Trump, so anytime somebody uh, punches Trump in the eye, I would feel good. But I tend to agree with Rick on this one. Uh, They better have a good reason. Uh, there's an old saying, and I'll paraphrase it, and then we'll use, if the phrase is about a king, but this is about presidents or ex-presidents. If you throw a spear, you got to hit the mark. You don't want to miss. And so I just hope that the attorney general and the FBI know what they're doing uh, because this could, and I think it already has, solidified the base of the Republican Party that supports Trump. Professor, you study political messaging. You guide your students as they study political messaging. Uh, The White House apparently did not know about this search. Um, It came at a really tough time for for the president because uh, President Biden, all he wants to do right now is talk about his legislative successes. And now 
uh, you've got at least a big segment of the country who's not talking about that. They're talking about this 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 potential widening investigation. Exactly. And um, as Leo said, this is an extraordinary action by the attorney general and a magistrate judge to allow a raid on a president's residence. There's something there. Um, Merrick Garland is not an, a novice. You know, this isn't his first radio, rodeo, and he knows that because of this political moment, anything he does is going to be subject to significant scrutiny. I think Governor Kemp benefits from this by just staying silent. I think based on the messaging that's out there now, the social media commentary by the Republican base, they see this as a witch hunt. It taps into a story that's already been told over the past five years that Democrats are out to get Trump and have been and will stop at nothing. And now they're raiding his house and going through his wife's lingerie. Um, I think that story is going to drive people to the polls. It's red meat for the party. And I think what Leader Abrams is going to have to do is just let that play out and focus on her messaging as it relates to equitable, economic, sustainable progress for Georgia. Leah, we'll give you the final word here. Well, no, I mean, this is certainly something that's going to galvanize and energize that especially Trump-focused base. Um, which we have somewhat estimated to be around 30% of the Republican Party, but the largest voice in the Republican Party. But what will happen is the political consultants and the PACs, the independent expenditures, will raise money off of this hand over fist. And that will be the biggest impact of this FBI raid, because we don't know what ball will drop next and what evidence that they, they allow them to do that. We don't know that, and we might not know that for a while, but certainly this messaging that we're seeing on True Social and uh, everything else is about give us more money to stop a banana republic from happening in America. Well, at that point, we've already seen a lot of fundraising emails and texts that have been going out to Republican donors and others uh, already on this. Well, that is all the time we have for today's show. I want to thank our panelists for a great conversation. A couple of notes. Tomorrow, my boss, AJC Executive Editor Kevin Riley is going to be down at the AJC leading a panel that will tackle questions about Georgia's Constitution. So please leave us a voicemail at 404-494-0421. That's 404-494-0421. That number is up on Political Rewind's Twitter page as well. And today is newsletter day for the Political Rewind team. Please be sure to sign up for the latest edition coming out this afternoon at gpb.org slash newsletters. That's gpb.org slash newsletters. For now, a special thanks to the talented team that produces this show, Natalie Mendenhall, Chase McGee, and engineers Victoria Evans-Cash and Jake Cook. Another special thank you to my guests, and thank you, our listeners, for joining us, and enjoy a great Wednesday. Thank you.